editor, former online and managing editor, and host of Talk That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. <laughs> welcome to it, welcome to it. It is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so it's not your regularly scheduled Talk That Talk episode, but it is your Monday episode of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Not too much. Another day, another dollar, uh, some more sports to talk. I, I was just, actually, I spoke with my dad this morning, and you guys typically know how it goes on these, I don't know, why Why does this look like that? I'm, I'm, I'm moving this back. Why does that look like that? I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I like the, 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 the live, but we'll see what it looks like. Um, if you guys are joining us right now, we appreciate you as always. If you are watching our Facebook Live, we appreciate you. If you would like to do so, all you have to do is go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, go to Facebook, go to the search bar, type in Talk That Talk Radio Show, and you guys will be good to go. You guys can pretty much use that same method across every platform. You can do it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You guys can do it on Instagram. The one thing that will be different would be our Twitter. Our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. Once again, our Twitter is at TalkThatTalkLV. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Let's get to it. You guys know how it typically goes on game days. Uh, when we have showtimes on game days, um, we try to lock in for about an hour and some change, maybe an hour and a half, and, and see where the energy takes us. Well, we may touch two hours. We may get out of here in like an hour and ten minutes. We'll see what happens. But uh, we, we – I expect to to probably get pretty close to 12 o'clock, if not touch 12 o'clock. Um, we got a full slate of, of news to talk about. Um, Mom, I'm not reading a tip in from you today, uh, only because I didn't pull one before the show, and I don't want to short you. I'm going to be honest. Um, but we'll see what happens on Thursday. Maybe we can get two of them read. But um, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun for this show as much as we can. Um, we're actually going to open – with just a quick update from here here in Vegas, rather. Um, a lot of things went into the decision to uh, <clears throat> postpone this show until now. Um, yes, we had an Ignite game. Yes, we had a Royal VGK game. Um, but in addition to that, there was also... A vigil, a memorial for 20-year-old Ryan Keeler, Chicago native, UNLV football player. Um, it was at Rebel Park. It was on a 47-yard line. I like that. Just a moment for the program to... Remember, Ryan, a lot of stories were told. Um, Naki Fahina spoke. Jeff Weimer spoke. Uh, All-time leading rusher Charles Williams was in attendance. <clears throat> Obviously, plenty of the, of the teammates were there and things like that. Um, we don't need to get into the analysis portion of it. Not tonight, at least. I don't want to. Um, 
for any of anybody wondering and asking, I, I don't know anything more. Uh, not that I know of. Matt doesn't know anything more. Doesn't look like any of this news is going to be out soon, which is why we're not going to go into any analysis in terms of that sense. But just the the the, the memorializing of Ryan Keeler. Um, as I said before, this is not somebody who I knew personally. This is not somebody who I even recall any conversations with. Um, definitely a surreal moment. Um, going to Rebel Park, understanding what people were gathered for. Um, the silence. Um, just a different feel if you've ever been to a UNLV practice. Um and just saw what what Rebel Park typically looks like. Um, completely different feel today, uh, or tonight rather. They had the vigil at five thirty. Um, as I said before, these things really put into perspective that, and I, and I tell people this all the time, all the time, and. I have no problem saying it. I love my job. I think I have the greatest job in the world. But when it, tr if you truthfully wanted me to boil down what it is that I do and the people that I cover do, we get paid to play and talk about a game. I don't know of a better way to spend my life. Things like this put into perspective so much more around us that matters, you know? Um, I was happy to see the football program go upstairs after the visual. And... This isn't a moment where I want you guys to think that I'm harboring or festering with old beefs or anything like that, but I'm, I'm just going to relay this message. Um, not the same exact thing per se, obviously, right? But um, it reminds me of when we were here at KUNV. And keep in mind guys this is not a KUNV decision this is a, a singular or maybe a group of people's decision this isn't a, a, a KUNV thing but while we were at KUNV that's how our Juneteenth events were birthed behind whatever conversation that UNLV coaching staff and their players had today after that vigil is the reason why our Juneteenth event our annual Juneteenth event was born because we were here at KUNV when George Floyd was murdered. And as a station, I don't care what this campus is, because I tell us it's diverse, but this campus is predominantly something. To be a black radio station that has black hoes, that plays jazz music, somebody should ask us how we felt. And it didn't happen. I don't know what was discussed upstairs. Even if the coaches did nothing but give those players an avenue to say whatever was on their heart. 
more entities could take a lesson from that. Yeah, I mean, definitely well well said. Um, you know, um, you're right. I mean, it's it's one of those. I'll say I have my feelings about KUNV and kind of just leave it at that. Um, it would be a better, honestly, it would be a better podcast conversation as For far as sure. diving deeper into those with feelings. I'm with that if you are. Uh, bro, I, I, we can get a couple bottles and have a good time. I'm that, with Because then, I, it, first off, we'd be off radio airwaves. The SEC can't say anything about that. Not at all. And every, everything and anything could fly. So um, I'm definitely with that idea. But when you were talking about that, that was shocking to me because you're right. For the you know for students or maybe especially in the journalism program that have been around KMV, you you guys know what we're talking about. You look around the hallways, you know you see, like you said, countless hosts that that play jazz music that you know work in some capacity for KUNV, um, almost as, as go as far as you know um, have high end leadership that are of color at, for KUNV and. Yet, like you said, when, I mean, I guess for lack of a better term, push came to shove, mm-hmm. or it came down to gauging a true feeling, that question was never asked. It was never brought up. Um, in terms of Ryan Keeler, though, in, in the vigil, it, it really is a sad situation all the way around. Um, regardless of whatever the findings end up being, whatever reports come out, it, none of it's going to be good. Because at the end of the day, Ryan Keeler is not with us. And, you know, whether it was X, Y, or Z's wrongdoing or whatever the case may be, whatever happened, first off, I'm not sure we'll ever know exactly what happened because I think there there may only be a select few individuals that know. I can tell you one thing is one of them is Ryan Keeler. So in terms of finding out what happens, we may, like, we may never truly know. Um... But whatever that decision is, whatever that those findings are, like I said, at the end of the day, it's still going to lead to the same conclusion that Ryan Keeler is not here anymore. So, really, I mean, what are the what to me, in my opinion, what good are those decisions if we're going to get to the same conclusion anyway? And you know, I I think it's sad to say, but this seems like. This is happening a little bit too frequently in collegiate sports. I, I agree. Where we're having to discuss a student athlete losing their life. And we talked about it a little bit last week where, you know, the fear of a parent. I mean, I can't speak personally to this, but I can only imagine the fear of a parent, especially Ryan Keeler's parents, getting that phone call that their son wasn't okay. And we had talked about this last week where the greatest feeling in the world I'm sure as a parent is to know that your son or daughter child is okay and they are taken care of, um, you know, for however long time goes on, Ryan Keeler's parents are going to have that void and it's, it's going to be, I think a difficult road to get over. Um, they may never truly get over it. I mean, you can always move past something, um, or at least try to. And, um, you know, I, I, I do think what respect has been shown to Ryan Keeler has been awesome from UNLV, from outside sources. Um, I think uh, UNR, their football program, had flowers put on the 47-yard line of 
I want to say it's Mackey Stadium. I McKay, McKay. McKay. Uh, McKay Stadium in Reno. Um, I think I saw something on Twitter that Barry Odom had uh, McCarran, or not McCarran, Harry Reid International schedule flights to fly over UNLV every 47 seconds mm-hmm. for Ryan Keeler. So yep. the tributes have been really, really cool to see. Um, some of the highlights from tonight were really you know, good to see on social media. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's a truly a sad situation all the way around. Um, and ones that we, we kind of hope to see less of as time goes on. Everything you just said, I couldn't, I, I couldn't get behind it any, any quicker than you were saying it. Um, when you said that this is something that we appear that we have this conversation far too often about, about collegiate athletes. Um, and, as you said before, and as we both uh, mentioned that nobody knows anything at this present moment, uh, just in, in going back to history with uh, what you were saying about collegiate athletes, all in a multitude of ways, too. And it, it's, it's a it's a eye opener. Um, as you said before, it's a sad situation overall. Um, it's. It's really, I don't know if uncomfortable is the word. It's really hard, as I said before, when what we do for a living, yes, it's fun. Yes, we have a lot of jokes. Yes, there are some tense moments. Like I said before, nothing outweighs something like this. And seeing guys that you typically share laughs with, not know when their next laugh is going to come is a really I'm I'm at a loss for words guys and you guys know even with my nickname it's pretty hard to 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 be that I don't want to say weird but it's a really unique spot to be a, in that dynamic when the energy is almost collective if anything I think it it's a good reminder to truly live life to its fullest um you know, because tomorrow definitely is not guaranteed. Um, I know it's a cliche. I know it's kind of halfway joked around. You know, um, you know, all, you know, you have the Kyle Shanahan memes and all that. Um, but he was kind of onto something. Yeah. Um, it's it's true. You know, you take advantage of what you have today, because, I mean, as we've seen, you may not get tomorrow. So if you're ma- if you're not making the fullest out of the current day and you know the days leading up to that all right you know i mean you you could leave this planet you know with some regret and so if anything um that would be kind of i guess my message if you will is you know definitely if opportunities arise you know definitely try to live life to the fullest because um you know that's that's just my my view on it I completely agree. UNLV football um, came out afterward as a collective unit instead of, as of course, we, we, we could pretty much expect it. This season will be dedicated to the memory of Ryan Keeler. Uh, Forever 47, man. Long live Ryan. Let's let, let's talk about something that hopefully will make Ryan smile. Let's do it, yeah? Yeah. Let's talk about going perfect at home. Let's, it's not something that uh, this campus – uh, has seen very often, and especially this program, they haven't seen it in 44 years. So that means Lindy's lifetime. It hasn't happened. 
Did you mention that to her, by the way? I didn't. I hope so. <laughs> I, I hope somebody I did. I didn't. I should text her and be like, by the way. Because she's going to be like, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, honestly, everything that they've accomplished so far this year has been like, hey, Linda, you were eight. Hey, Linda, you were a senior in college. Hey, Linda, you were three. I think now Lindy might be, I mean, Lindy might appreciate it now and be like, well, at least I wasn't born. Like, at least, you know what I mean? At least I don't feel like you guys are aging me. But this group continues to, to, to just check things off the list. I talked to Alyssa Brown. Um, was it after, uh, after this game? No, I lied. After the last game. And uh, I talked to Alyssa, I talked to Lindy, and I talked to somebody else, I believe. And kind of my, my question was the same to all of them. I said, even with as great as this team played last year, with as great as this team is playing this year, I find it interesting that this year has continued to provide opportunities for this team to build off of last year, which is kind of wild if you think about it. Because you talked about their seven losses last year. They only have two so far this year. But – if you look at last year's record, there were still some things to be desired, right? You had a 12-game win streak snapped in Wyoming. You avenged that loss in Wyoming, by the way, this year. They avenged a lot of those. They, 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 they were did. on a revenge Which we're actually about to get to. Um, but you had that 12-game win streak snapped at 13, or before you can get to 13. Right now, you're at 17 and counting. Last year, you got 20-piece by Northern Arizona. This year, you 20-piece Northern Arizona. Last year, the team is pretty much dominant at home, stumbles on senior night. This year, they avenged that senior night loss. They already beat UNR, so they avenged that portion of it, but now they send the seniors off right. Alyssa Brown talked to me after the game, and she admitted that all the seniors did what they were supposed to do in making it about San Diego State. She said, and then as soon as they were done talking, everybody else amongst themselves said, we're going to go get this win for them. Um, and, and, and I think it showed. I mean, obviously, perfect at home for the first time. In the Cox Pavilion, perfect at home for the first time in 44 years since 1979. They beat San Diego State 65-59. to 59. Uh, Lindy talked about it. Lindy said that, that it was awesome was the word that she used. She said that it was awesome because the, the fans that have supported this group all season, they were rewarded by never watching that team lose. And... As she said before, certain things are hard to do. She's talked about winning a regular season is hard to do. Obviously, winning a conference tournament is hard to do, things like that. But this one is special. And she admitted that this one was special. Um, I think it's only right for a group that she's continued to coin as special. Special is a good word for this group. And I want to ask you this question. It's going to be the same question I ask Lindy maybe next time I see her. Okay. But, well, I take that back. Whenever their season comes to an end, I'll ask her this. Okay. Possibly, if not soon. So Wednesday. You'll see her Wednesday? Yeah. Yes, Wednesday, Wednesday's a good uh, a good one, if not sooner. Hmm? Um, <laughs> we know what last year was. Yep. Last year was a whole bunch of firsts and milestones that hadn't been reached in decades. And it looked like this group last year was a little bit shocked in a sense to be in the moment, um, to get to where they got to. 
if you could just pick one area of the team, it could be on the court, it could be off the court, it could be anywhere you want. When you look at last year and now you look at this year, who do you think is the one area that they have improved on the greatest or made the most gain in? I, I'm going to go with the thing that's jumping out to me is roles and everybody's role. I think what hasn't been talked about enough is Essence Booker's role. And the stats aren't going to show it. I think statistically speaking, if you look at the stats, especially in the scoring department, I think her numbers are actually down from last year. But she's made this team so much better by taking that sacrifice. And I truly think that's been the difference. Alyssa Brown... Uh, obviously, this team would like to have Neka Obiaza out there, but Neka going down with the knee injury carved out Alyssa Brown's spot. You know what I mean? She had immediately slid right into Neka Obiaza's spot. Uh, Justice Etheridge continues to be Justice. Kind of as you talked about kind of prior to the season starting, this team is going to go as Justice goes. I completely agree. We saw it last year. Justice was not happy after a couple of wins, pointing to things that she said was ultimately going to bite this team in the rear end, and it did. So we understand that Justice is going to be Justice. I think Alyssa Durazo Frescas, I've said it before, those nights where she goes over five from three or she goes one of seven from three, I like those stat lines. I do, because she didn't stop shooting. There were times last year I felt like where she stopped shooting. She understands what she's on the court to do. I think everybody's role, it, they, they were defined last year. I think they were crystallized this year. I think you, you kind of, for me, you kind of, I guess, mentioned it. Um, I think when, I, I guess, balanced scoring, to put it in a broader sense, last year it felt like when this team got in trouble, they were looking for an answer. They were looking for somebody to go to. Um, to just take over that game. This year, well, for one, they don't get in as much trouble this year. Um, they're yeah, they're control <laughs> they're controlling a lot of these games, but even when they face a little adversity, even when the game's even a little bit tighter than they want it to be, you look at the stat sheet at the end of the game. Nobody's really jumping off the sheet as far as a dominating performance. It's a very balanced attack which I think has honestly led to a lot more of these wins. Um, and then when you do have those big ex exploding nights, ex usually offensively, you usually get it from your best player, which is Desi Ray Young, obviously. But as you said before, Alyssa has exploded. Essence has exploded. Justice has exploded. Like, it, it's been random moments this year, like you said before, where every Alyssa Brown has exploded, where everybody has kind of been able to take a piece of the pie. They definitely have. And I think, you again, it, it makes this team harder to defend. It... I think is given opponents fits as far as how to figure it out because you're right. Like, if you take away Desi, well, there's a chance Alyssa Durazo Frescas is going to get going. If you take her away, well, now you're going to leave arguably the Mountain West Player of the Year candidate and Desiree Young in single coverage. Which, have fun with that um, because there's there's been plenty of teams that have have done that and has not worked out. Um, Didn't work out at all. I I do think that. Maybe, 
and I'd be curious to see what Lindy says because mm-hmm. I, I feel like Lindy's gonna pull something out that none of what neither one of us is thinking. Probably. But when she says it, we'll we'll be like, Yeah, no, that that makes sense. Like I, I see where you're going with that one. And I, I think it's one of those where this team doesn't get phased. I felt like last year there were times where you could tell they were getting phased. Um, they were getting a little shell-shocked. Yeah. Um, I, I would go as far as to say they shell-shocked themselves the first three quarters of the Arizona game. I, I, I completely agree. Because they looked up at the scoreboard and said, not, wait a minute. I could where not do, agree with you more. Because they probably looked up at because everybody does this. They, you have, I guess, a personal expectation of how you think the game might go. Obviously, you you have an expectation of how you want the game to go. I'm sure they all went in that game saying, well, we want to win this game. Right. Um, but to look up at that scoreboard at the end of the third quarter and went, wait a minute. We're on the road in a hostile place. We're ahead? And, okay. And this is the this goes back to that that story in high school about when the when the team won their first round playoff game and was dapping in the in the locker room like it was over, understanding they had to go play uh Inglewood High School, which is obviously at the time, um, a team that you're you're probably not I, I said Inglewood, uh Crenshaw High School is at the time a, a team that you're probably not gonna get by. Um kind of goes back to what you just said before. If and by the way, Crenshaw. I think Crenshaw beat my school sixty-three to nothing. Dang, to nothing. It was a, it was bad. No mercy rule. I, I wish they had one. <laughs> Can like, we stop at forty? <laughs> I was, I was gonna say, if you are up forty, you got it. Uh, this is high school football. You got it. If you're the ref, you got to blow that game dead. Like, we, we good here. It, you can have. <laughs> anyway, you can move on. Yeah. Um, but I, I couldn't imagine that group up on Crenshaw in the fourth quarter because I hate to say it, I think no matter what the lead was, I think my school would have wet the bed. And it kind of goes back to your point before about uh, that Arizona game because we talked about it before. And there was a moment where we looked at each other like, man, it had to be in the third quarter. And we asked where we extended to stay because we talked about it with Arizona, with some uh, members of Arizona's team and or uh, coaching staff. That energy in that building felt different. And even Adia after the game, Adia Barnes talked about it and was like, well, they traveled and we felt it. Like, so as much as y'all would like to say, yes, this is a home game. No, this was as about as neutral as you could get. That's what it felt like. So, I talked about it early in the year, especially the UNLV Thanksgiving Classic, that Hawaii trip. I looked at this team, and the, the word that I used, even with Lindy, was sleepwalking. This team understands where they can get to now. And as you said before, I think if they're up on in, in, in Arizona, we saw New, uh, North Carolina play before that. If they're up on teams like that in these Power 5 schools, I don't think they necessarily blow it again if they, if they get that opportunity in this year's uh, NCAA tournament. But – that sleepwalking moment that I talked about early in the year, I talked about them sleepwalking to get here. Now they're here, and they look the exact way that we expected them to look. Yeah, and I think this year, honestly, I think they had to go through that shell shock moment last year because it set up the expectations for this year. I think they had to realize how far they could get, where what heights they could reach in order to really get a clear view of this year and what expectations they had in front of them. Um, because this year, like I said, I haven't seen this team shell-shocked much, if any. First half at Hawaii Hilo. That's it. 
and I think that was more so that 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 was I think a different shell shock because I think they came into that game realizing or expecting that this is Hawaii. Like, no, that's exactly what they did. Like they, they got punched in the mouth. <laughs> they looked over and they was like, "Oh, this is who we got." All right, bet. And I think that was the first game that NECA missed. So at the time, you're you're down one. You, you well, obviously you're down a starter at the point, but you're down a, a big part of your offense, and not even your offense, your team as a whole, and. As you said before, you go in there, you're probably overlooking them, you get hit in the mouth, and then you'll be like, oh, we'll get back up. And then you kind of look at the end of the first quarter, and you're like, all right, well, we got to get back up now. And then you head into halftime up one or something like that, and it's like, I wonder, Doug, what's happening? I wonder if Lindy called Roman, by the way, because that was the game Roman was yep. doing. I wonder if Lindy called Roman at the half and said, put me on speakerphone real quick. That's a good question, and maybe <laughs> I should have asked Roman that. Um... Did I ask Roman? I don't think I did because I feel like I remember the answer. I did ask Roman because he – I matter of fact, you're absolutely right because we talked – was the Hawaii game before that? Hawaii was after that, I feel like. Yes, but after. That's what I thought. So whatever game was before Hawaii, I talked to, um, to uh, Roman about it. And when we got to the Hawaii Hilo game, I was like, well, you, you talked after the last game and you said you never had seen a first half like that. And you know what I mean? That was the first time you ever seen it from this group, whatever the case may be. You ever thought you would see it back-to-back times? And he was like, dog, no. Like, I truthfully, I don't know what's wrong. And I was like, this is, like, genuine. He was like, no, I don't. I, it doesn't make sense to me. He was like, we're – and the thing was, he said, we have to correct it when we get back. When he said it, I was like, y'all still got another road game left. Like, in the moment, he was like, I really don't know why it happened, number one, and why it keeps happening since it happened back-to-back games. And then I think maybe a week later, they blitzed through somebody in the first half, and I was kind of went back to Roman and was like, this is the way first half is supposed to look, right? And I, I think it goes back to what I said before. I think this team, based on what you said – I don't know if they'll ever admit it. I can't wait till the season is over because Desi will admit it. They slept walk through this regular season. They knew. They knew that this year was going to be better than last. They knew that, you know, this is about the time that they wanted to get to, to where they could start. If you wanted to, you know, deem it as like the season officially starting here, then, I mean, that, that's one way to look at it. Um, I was thinking about this the other day because it's come up a lot on the men's side in in terms of teams that are on the bubble and teams that are looking to get in yep. to the NCAA tournament. The biggest uh, criteria that a lot of analyst broadcasters bring up is quad wins and yep. losses. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I, I I thought for a second, okay, this this t- Lady Rebel team does have a loss on the road to Oklahoma State, yep. and their other loss is at Pacific. Mm-hmm. They don't have another bad quad loss on their resume, and in fact, is that they, Oklahoma State loss a bad quad loss? I wouldn't say it is. I didn't think it was. Maybe I mean maybe Pacific's like a quad. <laughs> no, that Pacific loss stinks. That that's the loss. I'm, I keep telling you guys, I don't think they're penalizing for the Oklahoma State loss. I don't. I think they're penalizing them for the Pacific loss. But like I said, I would go back to the fact that Pacific beat three teams in the Mountain West. But I think that would also lend more credence to why they look at the Mountain West the way that they do. Yeah, and again, maybe, you're right. It could be a quad three or four loss technically for against Pacific. Right. Maybe you you label the Oklahoma State one borderline quad one to two somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. Um, 
and then the other thing they look at is the net rate rating ranking, however you want to say it, uh, because, and this is kind of, if I was, I guess, in charge of the committee, I would first off, not put as much credence behind the net. Okay. Because I feel like <laughs> the men don't want to hear that. The men ain't going to be anywhere near this tournament. So they're not even in the conversation. Um, what tournament? I ain't Relax. Gonna, the CBI is going to be looking at the men a little crazy. Like, you sure you want to be in this one? <laughs> We're not even sure we want you. So, um, if UNLV gets in, the men's side, this is random, but if they get invited to postseason play, they should go. They won't. It. They should. I'm telling you something. Uh, they probably have been invited in the past, and they just been like, "Nah, we good, fam." This year, they need to go. Uh well, there might be other things that be going with that program too if they're not careful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> other personnel, but beside the point, um, this Lady Rebel group, when it comes to the net ranking, I don't think you can put that much credence behind it because when it comes to situations like this, I think the committee genuinely has to pull up the body of work and the resume that this team has put forward in terms of this team is now how many wins do they have? 27 and 2. 27 and 2. 17 and 0 in the conference. Let's say they win everything but the championship game of the conference tourney. They get all the way there. They they put up a valiant fight, they lose by a couple points or whatever it is in the championship game of that conference tournament. Putting them at what? 29. Well, 20, no, 30. Cuz they don't need 3 wins. They they wouldn't play the first one anyway. So they would play what quarterfinals? So they would be twenty nine and three. Oh no, because you're assuming that they get this last win against. Uh, yeah, winner. they win everything but so that thirty and three. Yeah, so twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty. Yeah, thirty and three. Thirty wins. Just let that sink in on its on its surface. Thirty wins, and we're having the conversation as a committee about keeping this team out of the NCAA tournament. Go find another school that you're going to put in there that has more than 30 wins. I was going to say, that got to be a 1C for the NIT, right? Like, it just got to be. I think a 1C for the NIT is disrespectful for 30 wins. I agree, but I'm just that saying. That is downright disrespectful. And Lindy would tell you the same thing. She'd be like, that's downright disrespectful. I, I don't think Lindy would. I, th- I think if they give them an NIT bid, oh, she's going to let them know. She's going to. I mean, first off. She gonna just show them the record to start with. She gonna be like thirty and three, dog. We lost three times in thirty three games. Is Lady LaRock the coach of the year in the Mountain West? She might be the coach of the year, period. And that's and I love Don Staley. I love some of these um, head coaches that are in the, I guess you could say upper echelon of women's college basketball. Lindy LaRock's the coach of the year in the country. So that means Lindy should have three coach of the years on her mantle. And she's only been coaching for four years. <laughs> and she's gotten robbed of about two years. And she's probably get well, no, I think she'll get it this year in the Mountain West because No, you, you, you can't rob her again. You I mean, they already did it last year. I, I get that, and I get that I said like, okay, that was blasphemous. You can't get any worse than this. It can't happen this year. If it happens this year, dog. I mean, we thought last year. Was How bad. do you logically make the argument? Because I, I don't think it's crazy to say that she should have had three, or if you count this year, three straight Mountain West Coach of the Years. Absolutely. And I get that the argument against that is, well, if you're going to be the Coach of the Year, you have to show some improvement. No, she has. <laughs> she went from 15 and 9 to 22 and 7. Twenty-three and seven, something like twenty-three somewhere. and seven, something like that. Yeah, twenty-six and seven, even. It was somewhere. Uh, it was somewhere in there. So improvement from year one to year two, 
And now year two to year three is even better. She's at, on pace for at least 30 wins, if not more. And she should have three coaches of the year. Award. And I would argue this year, you have to, she has to at least be a finalist for coach of the year in the country. I, let's move on. Who, who votes on this? It should be us. Because I did. It was the same argument. Well, I know the schools give two. Um, they because each school gives two recommendations for uh, or two of their like where where they want their votes to come from, and typically um, it goes to the paper of record, which is always the RJ. Uh, so I think Ed Graney gets a vote. Ed, don't do us wrong now. I think I don't think Ed is. It's not crazy. Don't do it wrong. It's not crazy. Um, by the way, who random? I think the Las Vegas Sun is the other one. Is that Sam Gordon? Might be Mike Gramala. Don't be crazy, Mike. Yeah, it might be Mike Gramala. We'll don't see be, what happens. Don't be crazy, Mike. And <laughs> Y'all know what to do. Um, I had two gripes with the Mountain West Awards last year. Everything else I was okay with. I had two okay. that I that I thought I were. I know one, and I think I know the second one. One of them was Lindy not winning Coach of the Year mm-hmm. because I thought, how are you going to not give this this person the Coach of the Year when they get to the NCAA tournament? <laughs> Most of y'all of the teams didn't make it, so let's start there. Insane. The other one was David Roddy getting Player of the Year over Bryce Hamilton when Bryce gave him the work two times in a row. Like and he, he didn't beat Bryce. <laughs> like he didn't he beat didn't Bryce, and, and Bryce dropped a cool number back to back games on him. I know. I, I'm. What is what does the record book say? Forty two. Yeah. Um. Bryce got forty five. I'm not. I, I've I've told Bryce that. Like I'm not. I've told Donald Bryce Williams probably laughs and says I know, I'm not, bro. What? <laughs> and on top of that, they changed it the next morning. Well, it was. Dog. <laughs> well, you got to remember that game was in Colorado State. I don't care. They looked at that. Whoever was keeping score for Bryce on the stat table, for sure. They was like, oh, he's not getting this record for here. Uh, uh-uh, uh, no. For not, sure. not when he's out playing Dave Roddy. <laughs> Shout out to Dave Roddy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything, any, uh, uh, hey man, if you can get cooked like that and st- and Two still times. be, yeah, Two and times. still not only win Mountain West Player of the Year, but you're 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 playing on a Memphis Grizzly team now. Um, uh, ooh, we let, this is a perfect transition actually going into the men's side. But um, before we move on, um, the Lady Rebels they will end their regular season tomorrow, six thirty p.m. They will put their seventeen game. Win streak on the line up north against that team, that hated team, the Wolfpack, the UNR Wolfpack. By the way, what's up? Did you ever think basketball was going to be a weather sport? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't think so either. Um, Until about four o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What Matt is referring to? Um. The Lady Rebels flew to Reno, got to Reno. I don't want to say landed in Reno, but they got to Reno and had their flight redirected back to Vegas. They took a whole victory lap and then came right on back. They're like, we don't even need to play. At this we point, know I, know what's I didn't happen. want to say it, but at this point, it's like, yo. They were like, "We here? How are we gonna play this? Because <laughs> now I just spent three hours on a plane, and it should have took me two, two, uh, thirty minutes to get on and off of forty-five minutes max. Why? Why are we circling in the air right now? Um, 
I, I will text Jared in the morning to see what happened. Uh, I, I think I'm gonna forget. I'm gonna keep. It, I'm gonna keep it a complete being. But on a more a little bit serious note, with that, they better hope they play that game tomorrow. Because the because think about the alternative that happens. No, they they have to play that game tomorrow. Because otherwise, they're gonna have to be if they let's if they don't play that game tomorrow by rule, I think they have to forfeit the game. We just had the conversation a couple minutes ago about this team's NCAA tournament hopes. Number 22 in the nation now? I feel like, again, and it would be through no fault of their own, at the end of the day, the committee's going to look at that and be like, well, it's another loss. And I I think regardless of how that loss gets there, they're going to get punished beyond belief for that loss so that's why i I sit here and say if y'all gotta take a bus if y'all gotta do y'all gotta play that game somehow (laughs) if you have to find a neutral site somewhere where y'all can both play y'all want to rent out a gym in tonopah or something like unr is not doing it (laughs) we like dog they've got to play that game somehow some way because and excuse me because you can't afford a forfeit like you can't afford to lose you definitely can't afford to forfeit this or that group will will put everything on the line 6:30 p.m. tomorrow um even with a, a bunch of wins this that that team is still um waiting for some questions to be answered about their future but i don't think anybody that's in season right now is asking more questions than the UNLV basketball team uh we talked about this air force game coming up on what was this game Tuesday uh, that was Tuesday, wasn't it? Wait, no, what's today? Today Monday. is Monday. Was this game on it's Wednesday? Friday night game? Saturday night game? No, it was a when Friday was night game? game. It was a Friday night game. It was a Friday night game. All of a sudden, it was two or three days ago. So it was a Friday night game against Air Force, kids night. I remember we talked about this before. And I said all season, I think every time with the exception of one, where I said the Raiders couldn't afford to lose this season, they lost. I said UNLV couldn't afford to lose this one. You text me maybe a couple hours before game time and said UNLV was favored by nine. I think we both agreed that this UNLV team shouldn't be favored by nine against anybody at this present moment. We don't really know what's going on. Um, <laughs> it reminded me of a joke really quick. I don't know if you guys remember Cat Williams after um, – after, uh, <laughs> after Bush Jr., after uh, George W., after his presidential stint, um, Cat Williams was saying, like, now we have to, you know, like, I think, was it after him? I tell you, take the back. It might have been after Obama. And he was like, right now, I don't know that we should, like, pick another president. I think we should just be, I think we should just, like, be single for a while and just see how everything kind of pans out. That's kind of the way I feel about this UNLV team. Like, when you sent me with them being favored by nine, I think back to the 10-0 team and was like, well, hell yeah, they should be favored by nine. This Air Force team is not good, right? And then you look at this Mountain West, and I talked to you before. Kevin Kruger said it right after the non-conference season. This Mountain West season was probably going to shape up to be one of the best. I don't know if he jinxed it. I don't know if he snake bit it. I don't know what happened. But I told you I was looking at the standings. If not today, I think I was looking at them yesterday. I think it was today. And I looked at the top three in the standings and was like, oh. So it's like football. 
two or three horses. And the rest of y'all just fighting for filling spots. That's the way it feels right now. Do you know San Diego State has five losses on the year and they're ranked 18th? Not that they shouldn't be ranked 18th, but that Air, that Arizona loss early in the year, I forgot what other losses they had during a non-conference schedule, but you look at them now, they're doing what most people expected them to do. Dominate the Mountain West. One thing about dominating, though, is the rest of the guys in the group, they got to figure out what they're going to do. This UNLV team dominated non-conference. Ran through it. This group in the Mountain West slate, it frustrates the hell out of me. I still can't put a finger on what's wrong with this group. The only thing I can say is that they don't have a go-to primary like offensive option, and everybody's going to be like, well, what about Elijah Harkless? He has been the best offensive option for this team. Obviously, we know what Bryce Hamilton does, right? If Donovan Williams was on this team, is EJ Harkless your number one option? No. When I first got here, who was if Shakur Juicin is on this team, is EJ Harkless your number one option? No. That's what I mean. No knock to EJ. Should he have the ball in his hands the the time the, the amount of times that he does? Yes. I told you guys before earlier in the year because that mentality of going get a bucket, this team, based on Kevin Kruger's own admittance or, or own admission, excuse me, is built through defense. I told you guys, EJ must think how I think. Because if you built this team with defense, I ain't hear you say offense yet. So that means it's open? Bro, give me the ball. I'm shooting this thing 17 times a game. Because why wouldn't I? There is no guy on offense. I told you before, do I feel like EJ has um, taken over games for this team? Hell yeah, he has. I don't know where this team would be if they had just one more offensive option. I have no idea where this team would be, especially when you consider that E.J. Harkless poured in 23 points on 9 of 17 shooting. He did go uh, 0 of 6 from the three-point line, did have seven turnovers, but he scored the biggest basket of the game, which ultimately ended up being the game winner. UNLV beat Air Force 54-53. to I was at the game, and I was sitting next to Jesse Merrick. Uh, And the funny thing is I looked over at Jesse, and I looked over maybe like, either 11 minutes or eight minutes left in the first half. And I looked over at Jesse and I was typing my live tweet. And I looked around the Thomas and Mac center and I said, they're going to lose this game. And he just looked at me. He slow nodded and said, you feel it too? I said, the energy just feels weird in this building. That energy was like that until about 10 minutes left in the game. I don't know what happened. Maybe maybe EJ Harkless happened. Maybe EJ Harkless felt what what, what what that building was putting out and was like, nah, not on my watch. Um, huge play by Jackie Johnson to steal the inbound pass in a game that looked like UNOV was headed towards another loss. But huge inbound pass being stolen by him. I love the fact that uh, Shane Noel was asked about uh, Jackie Johnson just kind of staying down for the come up, essentially, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, just understanding that his playing time wasn't always 
um, guaranteed, but he still made the big play when it mattered most. And obviously, it's it, it, it's still the win for this group. So big big deal for um, Jackie Johnson, obviously for his confidence, but obviously a big deal for UNLV to obviously keep their season alive. You ain't gonna, nobody's gonna like this. Is it fair to say this is the worst loss of the year they or worst win of the year they've had? I hate to be this guy, bro, because I I'm, I'm in media. There's no such thing as a worse win. A win is a win. I like my my sports background kicks in in that aspect. Yeah, like it could be ugly, but like we counted it. You know what I mean? Like UNLV, the ladies, the Lady Rebels win over Fresno State. That was a hideous win. Seventeen straight. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I, I don't think in the grand scheme of things we're gonna go back and it's gonna matter. If UNLV loses to Air Force in a conference in the conference tournament, this game needs to be talked about because this was the first time that these two teams, first and only time, these two teams have seen each other this regular season. Fair enough. Win the win. But yes, to answer your question, it was hideous. It was hideous. There's no doubt about that. I would go as far as to say they stole one. No, they should have lost. I, I I meant what I said. Like Jackie Johnson saved the game. UNLV played below their competition for what thirty nine minutes and fifty seconds up until the last play, and then they played okay because Air Air Force was keeping them at arm's length for the duration of that game. And they were playing better than UNLV. They were, which, again, we're starting to see a lot of these problems seep into this team this year. They're having fits with teams that, historically, they don't have fits with. They got swept by San Jose State. Which still baffles the hell out of me. A team that they typically sweep on their schedule, or at least take care of rather handedly. A team that's not historically good in the Mountain West. They got swept by Fresno, which if you look at where Fresno sits, in years past, that would have been a sweep for UNLV. And they're having problems with a lot of these, I guess you could say, I guess technically bottom feeder teams, but teams that are in the bottom third of that Mountain West standings, they're having problems with those teams. And how the seeding is shaking out, they're probably going to get matched up with one of those teams early on in the conference tournament. I keep telling you the thing that I'm looking at when I'm, I'm looking at seedings, because as of right now, this team is seventh in the Mountain West, so they would play the 10 seed. Let me go actually go to ESPN right now, because I've been looking at this all season long, or like the, the past, let me say the past three or four weeks, and I told you before, if this team gets matched up with Colorado State, they gonna they're lose. in trouble. They might lose. I, I don't want to say might. They're in trouble. They're in serious trouble. Because Colorado State, they that's a game that UNLV has lost already this year. If the if I'm saying the playoffs, if the conference tournament was to start today, UNLV Air Force Part Two. Ta da! And I'm sitting here making the argument UNLV backed themselves into a win the other night. No other way around it. They got really lucky at the right time because Fresno State swept UNLV in their 10 and 18. Ta da. Again, it, 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 all these teams. That just pissed me off. I didn't see that. All these teams that you look at probably at the beginning of the year and even through the early parts of the conference schedule, and you go, oh, 
well, UNLV should take care of them. Like, I mean, we know UNLV is not up there with the San Jose or the San Diego States, and <laughs> they're not up there with San Jose State either. <laughs> Relax. <laughs> I'm just but saying. You, I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. But they're not up there with the the top tier of the Mountain West, right? They're not up there with the San Diego States. They're not up there with all, all the the three horses that you were talking right. about earlier. But typically, and we, even then, one of those three horses lost earlier. You talked about it. I, right now, it might be San Diego State and Boise State. Everybody else just figured but, out. But you, uh, you look at it like typically <laughs> on any given year, you look at UNLV and you go, uh, "All right, five or six seeds somewhere in there, middle of the pack." I do. It's about do. right. You know, good enough to beat up on the on the bottom third, have some competitive matchups with teams that are around them in the standings, and maybe give the top third of the league a little scare every now and then. Yeah. That's about UNLV every year. This year, they they did give some of those teams at the top tier a, a little bit of a scare. Um, Even beat them. Yeah. <clears throat> but what's changed is when they play teams that are about where they're at in the standings or below, they vastly underperform. And I thought they vastly underperformed on Friday night. I watched a lot of that game. Air Force just wanted that game more. It, yeah. came, it, it didn't come down to the X's and O's. It came down to who wants to win this basketball game more. And Air Force said... Well, we're not losing this game. Even though they did lose that, uh, end up losing that game, they weren't playing like it. And I think maybe UNLV, to a degree, was playing not to lose the game. They were trying to be a little more conservative than they normally would be. And we've seen them go into that type of mindset before this season where they try to, to play not to lose. And then we sit here at the end of the games and we talk about, well, how did – you know, UNLV blow a lead or whatever, second half lead, a lot of times that's teams that are playing not to lose instead of playing to win, which I think are two separate things. And so ultimately, it's to my opinion, it's the luckiest win they've gotten all year because it's a game they definitely should not have won by a lot of counts. And, I mean, I know there's some coaches that, would say that, oh, we don't steal any wins, you know, we, we we just work hard and all that. I'm gonna say it. Then they stole a win. Because all it takes is Jackie Johnson not to get a steal and the game's over. Because there's only a handful of seconds left. You either foul or Arizona, or Air Force starts dribbling it out or whatever the case may be. If Jackie Johnson doesn't steal that ball, you and Elvie's losing that game. Indeed. I, I'm I'm completely with you for whatever it's worth. When you, when you look at how vastly different this this team has been in the Mountain West. You look at the top uh, two teams that I just mentioned before in San Diego State and Boise State. They are a combined 0-3 against the AP polls. They are a combined 0-2. Actually, it's really San Diego State. That's 0-2 in the, US, in the USA polls. And they're 0-4 against those two teams combined. And UNLV is 4-2 combined in the AP and USA polls. 2-1 and one in each. I don't know, man. It's really confusing. This team beat a ranked Dayton team at home. This team went on the road and beat a ranked New Mexico team in the pit. This team beat UNR when they came into UNLV during a time where they were actually streaking. They were down a couple players, but they were streaking. And they got that win. As you said before, you look at the bottom half of this conference. Let's just put it this way. The people that are sitting under them, Fresno State, Colorado State, Air Force and Wyoming. So even in those wins, you you probably get some of their poorest performances. Um, but one thing is confirmed following this last week of basketball, UNLV will be playing on the opening night of the Mountain West Championships. 
which if you guys have followed, I mean, it's nothing new for me, but if you're following UNLV basketball, history would say they play very well on this opening day. They, for whatever reason, UNLV has always played well in the first round of the tournament. They better hope for Air Force. Or Wyoming. Yeah. And, I mean, it it almost feels like they treat that first round, that opening game, as like the championship game. Because they typically play really well. And that's where a lot of fans start thinking, okay, well, you got one down and you have some momentum going into the quarterfinal. Typically, you're matched up with a team that had that first round bye. So... You're already more so in game flow than the other team would be. Um, you know, maybe you get, you know, past that team and get to the semifinal, and then you get to the quarterfinal and you go, oh, they used up all their energy yesterday trying to get out of the first round. They're getting completely gassed in this round. And so... And we usually see it before half done. I'll say this much. I, I, I mean, obviously we know they're going to be playing that opening day regardless of what happens. For a team morale sake and a momentum sake, they have to win. And, I mean, there's not very many games that I would sit there and say, you have to win. No, they have to win on Wednesday night. For UNLV to get – for UNLV to continue their season, they have to win. Because I think if you lose Wednesday night – Oh, you mean this Wednesday. This Wednesday. I meant opening night at a, at a conference tournament. Oh, no, like, you definitely they oh. have to. They have to win – I would stop, not just like that, but with the way that their Mountain West slate has gone, I think they would have to win two games at the very least. I agree. Not not for NCAA um, tournament bids, but obviously for everything that you said before, for this even NIT, CBI, I don't think they even get those serious, maybe CBI, I don't think they get a serious NIT bid unless they win a game or two in their conference tournament. Probably yeah, two. I think so. And I think... Outside, I mean, obviously you got to win. I think Wednesday night it's senior night, but yes, Utah State. I mean, one of the better teams in the conference now, so. and a team that you looked horrible against earlier this year. You would you would hope that they come to play for that game, four. especially it being on senior night. Um, they ended up losing by four. What did they go down by? That was another game they should have won. We we watched that game and we look back on it and we go. Because they shot the hell out of the ball. That's why. Yeah, they and we that that was a game that we felt like they let slip away. And this is why. And this is why I didn't agree with you. Because I I I because I, mm, I thought I was tripping, but I wanted to be sure. Utah State shot fifty one percent in that game and shot forty four percent from three. This is supposed to be a defensive team. They shouldn't have won that game. Exactly. And that was a game that I thought UNLV, outside of that area, played really well enough to win that game on the road, nonetheless. And yeah. so. I think you have to take care of business on senior night and if nothing else, avenge that loss, gain some momentum because I'd put, you know, two in a row. I think they'd have one more game in the in the regular season before they get to conference play. Well, well excuse me, they have one more, which would be UNR. That will be Saturday, March 4th. This game on Wednesday is at 8 p.m. from the Thomas and Mac. So, I mean, if you, you've already got Air Force, which take Air Force for the win that, you know, however you're going to get it. If you get Utah State and you complete the sweep of UNR. Oh, that's huge. Oh boy, that's huge. I mean, it goes back to Marvin Menz. I keep going back to Marvin Menzies' years. Marvin Menzies' year, they ended the regular season on a on a uh, win streak, and then went into the tournament with some gas. And second day fell flat. And I mean, the same thing could very well happen. And again, we know they're going to play on the opening day, regardless. You're right, though. I think we look at that opening day. If you were ever to circle a must-win, gotta-have-it game. 
that's the one because you know the you know the repercussions if you don't win. First off, you're not having any serious postseason uh, tournament invite. Bigger than that, everybody's calling your ten and zero start a fluke. And and I hate to say it because it's college basketball. Nobody wins ten straight games flukish style, but it was non conference games. So there could be some people who would argue, mm, what did those wins ultimately amount to? And there's people that don't want to say it, so I'll just go ahead and say it. There's been players that have, you know, to their credit, came out and defended Kevin Kruger. If you want Kevin to stick around next year, you better go out and at least, at the very least, win that opening game. You have to. And you probably got to win the quarterfinal, too. That's where I'm at. Because if we're talking about this team with with yet again another quarterfinal exit— in the season they just came off of, with the start that they had to that season, and you're looking across the aisle and you saw what Eric Harper set the tone with with football and Marcus Arroyo, if you want Kevin Kruger to stick around for another year, you have to play like you want him to stick around another year. It doesn't help that Kevin Kruger and company have been swept four times this year all by the states, except for Utah State. We'll see what happens. But they've been swept by Fresno State, Boise State, San Diego State, and San Jose State. So they losing if that's crazy. So they lose to Utah State, all states, all states, and that's five except sweeps. for Colorado, and that's five sweeps in a season. Indeed, that's ten losses. Indeed. Again, y'all have to win on Senior Night. They have <laughs> no can't... choice at this present moment. Yeah. Speaking of not having a choice, the G League Ignite had no choice but to win when they returned home to the Dollar Loan Center. Mm-hmm. They had a choice. You're right. <laughs> they've told, they reminded say, us they've had a choice. That. Let me not say that. You're absolutely right. This team, being so young, has had up and down moments this year. As you would expect, tonight was one of those nights. Tonight was one of those nights that you you look at every way that they defended. Even uh, just speaking on defense, uh, speaking talking on a defensive end, um, just the 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 team play on the offensive end. Scoot has six points for majority of the game. And that was just we, – we talk about it all the time. Scoot being a point guard and being a highly touted point guard, you're going to have games like that where you look up and Scoot only has six points and there's not a moment on the floor where he's not affecting the outcome of the game, whether it's defense, hell, whether it's fouls, whether it's whether it's what you don't necessarily want from him. Uh, the game was tied 14-14 in the first quarter. Scoot, um, just mistake. Um, jumped out at somebody, slapped them as loud as you could hear it, right on the arm, got the three to four, was trying to argue with the ref a little bit afterward. Um, I will say this, shout out to head coach Jason Hart, because Jason said that in, in terms of Scoot's development, Scoot was higher, um, not higher, was uh, further along than anybody probably could have guessed for him. And he said because of that, now we got to get him into the ear of the ref. Like, now – we got to make make him make the ref think about it a little bit. So now if he's driving to the lane, if he asks for a foul in the first quarter, now you're looking at it a little differently in the third. And shout out to Jason Hart because he told me that obviously a month ago at the very least. They hadn't been home in 32 days, by the way, just to give you a heads up. So um, it, it, it kind of manifests itself tonight when even when things aren't necessarily going right for Scooter on the defensive end, he picked up three fouls in the first half. Uh, you saw him talking to referees, so it's it's already you're watching the maturation and the growth process for Scoot. Um, but Scoot was obviously a part of a a struggling backcourt tonight. 
Um, him and John Jenkins didn't necessarily get it going in the offensive category, but they did have some help. They had a lot of help from a couple of different players. Leonard Miller continues to be Leonard Miller. Team high. Matter of fact, yeah, no, team high. 24 points, 12 rebounds, 9 of 20 from the field. Uh, continues to, to show that he has um, a, a motor. And I actually asked C.D. Sissoko about that after the game. I asked if Leonard's best attribute was his motor. And uh, he said he's – the way that he moves on the court, he said he does everything in life like that. Like, it was a great quote, but he said anytime he makes just, like, one layup, like, he's – Let's go. He's he's that guy at all times. And speaking of CD, CD continues to 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 do what he's doing. And the interesting thing is, I I, I did talk to Jason Hart about it. it. It's been known. I think CD's passing is underrated. Is grossly underrated. He had a no look pass tonight under the basket that he's he's under the basket. He's looking at the opposite basket. There's two people in front of him. His eyes get big, like he's about to throw an overhead pass, and he dumps it under the basket. And it was one of those moments where I kind of looked around and was like, y'all not going crazy enough for me. Like, I don't think y'all realize how difficult that was to do. Uh, but I think it might have been a Leonard Miller, too. But that aspect of his game is what it is. But... Jason Hart and company understand that with the body that CD has, you're probably going to best feed your family at the next level by playing defense. You're probably going to have to be a big body who guards the other team's best player and obviously knock down your open shots. We're going to need you to kind of kind of fill a 3 and D role. Um, earlier, maybe earlier this year, like I don't mean season, earlier this year, this calendar year, I believe CD Sissoko set a new career high with 23 points. He followed that up in Memphis with 24, another career high. He had 22 tonight. I talked to Jason Hart after the game, um, uh, uh, kind of just about that, understanding that his role at the next level will probably be 3 and D. The development of his offensive game, I asked, did it surprise him that it was kind of accelerated? And he said, no, not not necessarily surprised him because he said with the France under, uh, uh, under 18 team, he was asked to do more offensively. And he could do it. Now, he said he the, the biggest difference with him now is that he's learning that he's a big body. And once you learn that you're a big body, you, you, you can, you can kind of use it to your advantage. And that's exactly what we're seeing CD do. Um, there was one point in the game where Jason Hart is literally yelling out to London Johnson to go back and get the ball because he's running up court. CD Sissoko has the ball in the backcourt. And Jason is like, Dog, you're the point guard. Go get the ball. And as London is headed back, uh, back behind, um, behind the half court line, CD's initiating the offense at this point. So CD breaks past the half court line right before he does it. Nice behind the back crossover. It's a lane. It's just an open lane. So CD goes up, and it's one of those moments to where I, I think I even said it during um, during my live tweeting. I'm pretty sure the arena paused because it was a moment where you saw what was about to happen and you kind of sat there like, nah, this, this isn't going to happen. He's too far out. I'm going to show you this play because I'm almost positive that I don't think you'll be able to make sense of it either. 
But like I said before, before he crosses half court, CD Sissoko behind the back, a, a flush of a dunk. Um, ironically enough, it was Space Jam esque. It was a couple of steps inside the free throw line. As he jumped, I looked at the guy that was standing under him and I said, this is one of those dunks. You just got to give it to him. Like the other team might be mad. Do I think it was a charge? I do. Do I care? I don't. You, you got to give him the points after something like this. So I'm going to show you. I'm showing Matt the play live right now. I asked CD after the game. I said, have you seen Space Jam? He was like, of course. Somebody else in the press conference was like, which one? I said, CD, I mean the original one. He was like, no, 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 I did too. Good. I, I forgot that we have to now specify that there is a new Space Jam out. But I, I, it was definitely Space Jam-esque. And I got to be honest with you, I can't wait until we see what this NBA draft has to hold because a lot of people are, are are getting good looks at these G League players. When I mentioned Scoot Henderson earlier, Scoot Henderson had 14 points, nine rebounds, and nine assists. So to just go back to my point of um, – and Scoot got it together on the back end, too, of his shooting night. I'm looking at it, uh, just triple-checking right now, 6 of 11. John Jenkins, again, struggled from the field, 3 of 10 from the field, uh, 0 of 3 from deep. But great – times for for these young players because they're getting real life eyes on them right and and there was a couple other scouts at the game tonight i know when i was checking i think i checked nba draft room uh their mock draft they had scoot going number two obviously i think i might have been wrong by the way they had cd earlier in the year most recently i think leonard is slated to go 24th to the pacers there you go. That makes me happy. Trust me. That makes me extremely happy. Um, which makes a lot more sense than going after another guard. But what do I know? Um, go after a four with guard-like ability. Um, like Vic? Huh? Like Vic? Like Vic, for sure. Leonard Miller is 100% like Victor Wimbayama. Um, you said you wanted to go no, after I'm, I'm telling you something. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not going to say he's not. Um... But you're you're getting those two that I just mentioned. Obviously, you got Scoot Henderson and Leonard Miller uh, slated to go in the first round. Name that's creeping up the board. 43 overall right now to the Boston Celtics is Mojave King. So adding some more shooting to potentially a, 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 a championship contender. Not even going to say Eastern Conference powerhouse. This is a championship contender. Uh, Mojave King hasn't necessarily had it going uh, this season, just if you look at the numbers. But tonight is going to be really, really good for him moving forward because um, obviously not to this level, right? But when I played a little bit of basketball, it's always good when you know that you didn't miss a shot. That's always the biggest part. Mojave went 3-3 or three from the field. He did knock down two tray balls. He did also go 3-3 three or three from the free throw line. So it's going to be good for him to know that that's a stat line of all 100% for him. Uh, but this team is back in action tomorrow. Uh, Jason Hart shook his head when I talked when I asked him about it. This team uh, officially tomorrow will be playing in their eighth back-to-back. By the end of the season, they would have played in ten back-to-backs. The NBA high is fifteen, and it's the Clippers and four other teams. 
Just a sidebar. You got anything else about them? They won. They learned. They developed. They did. Check, check, check. Yeah, they did. And this is this is what Jason Hart actually talked about before. Uh, actually, during today's game, he said we talked earlier in the season about development. And as he said before, this is where it shows. Like, the Februarys, the Marches, the April. We're going to see all the development that was supposed to take place leading into this new year. Like he said, even January, you all right. You you, you still kind of let him fill it out. But as he said before, this is when things start to take effect. So this is the sink or swim time for these guys. And if this is the, the, the coming out party for that sink or swim type of moment, this is exactly what they needed. They had lost four straight games, not to mention they hadn't won a home game since. God, I would have to go back and figure it out. Um, but to, to go back to it, they had lost four straight home games. This was a much-needed win, obviously, but it was also a much-needed win in front of the home fans. They'll see. We'll see if they can double up uh, this weekend or tomorrow, rather. I'm sorry. Do you know before tonight that the Ignite were seven and five when leading after five after three quarters? Could be a lot more. <laughs> that number could be higher. Just let you know. Eight and five after tonight. So eight and five when leading after three quarters. Um, pretty sure Jason Hart would tell you that that's, that's, that's the mark of a young team, not knowing necessarily how to play with a lead and especially obviously playing in this G league too. Uh, but you had a road game today. You, you weren't in Colorado, but you had a Colorado game and something tells me now we get to the somber part of the sports. BGK lost. They got blown out. They got shut out. Let's move on. I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm with it. I mean, (laughs) Aiden Hill might be happy. Hmm. I told somebody the other day that I I wasn't a big fan of Aiden Hill, and they kind of looked at me a little sideways, and I said, no, I'm telling y'all something. (laughs) Go watch Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill, because right now the Golden Knights are going to have an interesting decision to make when it comes to the goaltending spot. Sooner rather than later, they're going to have to figure something out because eventually you're going to get Logan Thompson back from injury. Yep. Aiden Hill's back. Laurent Brossois is day-to-day right now with a lower body injury. Yep. You can only dress two of your goalies per game. Who's getting sent back down to Henderson? Because I'm I'm looking at it. I'm not sending Logan Thompson down. He's not good. Doing he's, that. he's probably the, the primary starter. Yep. That means I got to choose between Aiden Hill and Laurent Brossois. With all respect to Aiden Hill, brother, you going down to Henderson? <laughs> because if you watch Aiden Hill's games, he still makes really young and dumb decisions in that. He had the first goal of the game tonight was all on Aiden Hill, solely his responsibility. Aiden Hill, for, keep in mind, this is 14 seconds into the game. We, uh, this, this is basically the first possession. He tries to go behind the net to get the puck. He tries to pass it to a teammate that is pseudo-covered by a Colorado defender. Aiden Hill misses the pass that goes right to the Colorado defender for an open net. You cannot have those mistakes. Yeah, this is the top level of hockey. And it's not like this is the first time this year that Aiden Hill's done something like that. The first time it might be funny and you laugh it off. You keep doing it, I'm going to be a little concerned. This is about two or three times that Aiden Hill has made a horrific mistake in that that has led to a goal. And I think the first time it happened, it may have resulted in a win as the game. This one was a tone crusher. Because it made sure Vegas was playing from behind from the get-go. And they didn't have any time to set into their stuff. They didn't have 
Vegas didn't have time to hell Vegas didn't even have time to get all their lines out there that they wanted to um it was that early in the game and when we get down to crunch time in hockey you have to have smart goaltending now you can you can have goalies that take a couple risks that you know maybe you know may make fans and um you know uh followers of the game a little squeamish at times um I look at those guys like Laurent Brossois does it a little bit. His moves are, I think, a little bit more on the calculated side. Well, yes, he's taking some risk. He's he's been he's had occasions where he's out about halfway towards the blue line, and I, I'm I'm looking at him like that's not your area. The point is Laurent Brossois kind of calculates those moves out a little bit more. Marc Andre Fleury was a master of this. He did a lot of this. I saw Mark Andre Fleury in the three or four years that he was with Vegas make one terrible decision. It was the, it was a playoff game against Montreal. Yeah, was that a was a bad one. choice. Bad but see, at least at least and this is I, I know people don't care to hear it. I care only that he recognized it was a bad pass the moment it left his stick. Yeah, the moment he went behind the net and it left his stick, you saw him like, oh, I wish I could have that one back. Going back to your Aiden Hill point, I'm I'm trying to, like, ask a question without being disrespectful. Um, Damn, this is going to sound bad. I'm just going to say it. Um, In what ways can we say that somebody looks... This is going to sound disrespectful. I'm going to have to just say it. Yeah, I can't think of a better word. In what ways can we respectfully say that somebody looks clueless? When they keep making the same mistake over and over again. Because it's not clueless. And now now I'm, I wish I didn't say the word because maybe clueless isn't the word. Um, we talked about it before with Aiden Hill. Or at least I did. Well, one of the games that I covered, we talked about him not necessarily having a lot of action in front of the net. And he said, like, it could, it, it does get kind of not necessarily boring, but it does get tedious to not necessarily have any action. Um, but like he said, then the opposite side of that is to have constant pressure in your face. So you you want kind of a balance of it. But in moments, I, I just wonder if that, level of tediousness kind of weighs on them and, and it, it it becomes as i said before especially with young players when i was coaching my middle schoolers with basketball i told them all the time when i'm out when you're out there on the court i don't want to see you think all i do is watch aiden hill think i think thinks i think that's a pretty accurate statement about it and i think part of me wonders if aiden hill is trying to be the goalie that makes flashy plays and that's kind of how people, you know, know who Aiden Hill is because he, he may make flashy plays. Some of those flashy plays are still leading to costly mistakes. And, again, it, I think it's going to eventually make Bruce Cassidy's decision on this a little bit easier as far as who gets sent back down to Henderson if you can only trust two goalies per game because we don't see Logan Thompson making these types of mistakes. Right. We don't really see Lo- uh, Laurent Brossois making these types of mistakes. The only, I mean, the first time it happened, because it was kind of a similar situation earlier in the year where Aiden Hill had misplayed a puck behind the net or whatever, I immediately thought of the flurry play. Yep. We talked about it on the show, too. And when I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that's probably the only time I've seen Marc-Andre Fleury really slip up. Every other time, he's made some crazy saves. He's made some crazy plays that I didn't think he had a chance in. And 
he somehow kept the puck out of the net. Somehow, some way, some shape or form. You know, for that one mishap that Marc-Andre Fleury may have had, he gave us about 30 of those amazing plays that were highlight reel form. Aiden Hill's about three to one. Uh, maybe clueless isn't the word reckless. Very reckless at times. That's the word I want to use. Very reckless at times. And in a time of the year, you can't afford to be reckless. You have to. If I mean, we talked about it earlier in the show as far as teams, you know, maybe playing more conservative and all that. If you're the Golden Knights, you have to find ways to grab points anywhere they're found, even if it just means getting to overtime. Even if it means you grab that one point, that's one more point thing you're walking away with now. Because, I mean, in terms of to this game, it's the second time all year they've been blown out. Or shut out, I should say. They've been blown out before. But shut out. Um, relax. I had, I had to put the clarification out there. <laughs> oh, man. Been, I was going to ignore it if I could. I couldn't do they, it. They, they've been blown out. But at least in some of them blowouts, they at least get one on the board. So say, That was funny. Uh, I got a good laugh out of that. I laugh at Vegas, and I don't think I should. No, I, I definitely do it a little too much too. They, they look. They, that's why they look at me crazy. I, I think. I think what happens is fans expect us to be fans, and no disrespect, but like I tell people all the time, I went to UNLV. So would I like to see UNLV win? Yes. I told you guys before the biggest misconception is that you can't be a fan and cover your team. The Pacers stink. Like, I will tell you guys when my favorite team is bad. Like, it's just it, – it's life. I, I think when you let it get in the way of your uh, reporting, that's the issue. And I think that that kind of – as I said before, that Vegas Golden Knight fan base, it's unique, is going to forever be unique. And I, I hate to say it, but I just think that's just one of the characteristics they're going to have. They, they're going to have this inflated sense of – what this team can be. And I'm not talking about this year, but like we know that this is an expansion team, right? Over the past couple of years. And there's going to come a time where this team is not only not competing for a championship, it's nowhere near competing for a championship. And whenever that time comes, I, I think we may get a little bit of Dallas Cowboy inflation with no Vegas can still do this. Vegas can. And they can't. <laughs> and like I said, I don't think it's this year, but I think with the amount of, of years that continue to stack up with this group and especially the amount of years that continue to stack up it stacks up removed from that amazing inaugural season I think I think the pressure wanes I do I don't think Bruce Cassidy feels the pressure I don't I really don't but I think some of the guys that have been in that locker room a little bit I do think they hear it so going back to what you said before talking about a time where you can't be reckless this is a. I think this could be a make or break opportunity for a lot of these guys. Well, I mean, you saw the fan base reaction last year when this team didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, you thought Rome was burning. Um, and it wasn't even a terrible year by that standpoint. They were only a few points out of the playoff hunt. It's not like they were. And you caught it in November too, which was weird because they were leaving. No, that was that's that I, that scared the hell out of me. I didn't think I could do that. Um, yeah, because I <laughs> I caught BS in a moment. Yeah. Um. I had a couple of those moments last year. That was kind of fun. Um, yeah, I mean, hey, man. But I do think... Good thing we record this thing. Yeah, no, work. Because otherwise people, they, they'd say the same thing. They'd be like, you didn't say that. I'd be, like, be like, hang on a second. Let me show you something. <laughs> um, I do think it's interesting that... I know this team's going to probably make a move somewhere and rather soon. I just don't know what it is. Because... 
if you look at what this team has been doing to the roster, they're clearing out a lot of space for something. At first, I thought, okay, maybe they're trying to get somebody like a Patrick Kane from Chicago. He's been on the trade block a lot. The Rangers said. The, Ra- the Rangers took Patrick Kane. It's like, okay, great. Well, maybe Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer, he's familiar with the Western Conference, a, 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 a guy that Vegas has a lot of experience playing against. Maybe that's the guy because he's got a decent amount of cap attached to him. Maybe, maybe that's who they're making room for. The devil said, no, nah, never mind. He's coming out of us. So I mean, you still have to see him so after the Timo Meyer block fell, I looked around like, so who are you all clearing this cap space for? I get you just added uh, Yvonne Barbashev, I believe is how you say Barbashev. his name. Barbashev. He's only like a $2 million contract. Vegas, I think, still has 6 or $7 million open in cap space to use. Barbashev. That's why I look around going, who are you adding? Because Vegas has been a team that has typically and historically been right up against the salary cap. They yep. use as much, if not all of it, that they can. It's very unlike Vegas to sit there with six to seven million dollars of just unused cap space, not dedicated to a player or, or allocated to a player. And we still haven't passed the trade deadline, that, which is why I still leave the opportunity open that they could be looking to bring in somebody big. Right. <clears throat> My. I guess you could say it's somewhat of a hot take because a lot of Vegas fans do want the Knights to make a, somewhat of a big splash of a deadline. I think your take is my take. Don't do anything. Stay still. You're, you're, you're winning don't games as the team nothing. is constructed right now. You don't have to make a move. I wouldn't touch anything. Especially, I would just wait. And on top of that, you're the best team in the West right now. Especially in the sport of hockey where if you find something that works, you have to ride that wave because it could take one bad decision to derail everything and undo everything. That's why, I mean, even um, with Barbashev coming in, I do think Barbashev's going to get a lot of playing time. I do. I think Bruce Cassidy has to be kind of careful where he places him, though, because if you place him in the wrong line, all of a sudden it's affecting way more than just the line that that player is on. Absolutely. It's affecting everything else around it. So while I do think it's obviously really cool that, you know, Vegas could be in, you know, conversation for all these big names around the league. There's a couple problems with it. A, you're going to have to find how they're going to work out in the system more so than that. B when, cause a lot of these guys are looking at are going to have somewhat expiring contracts coming up where they're either going to be due money in less than two years or as soon as this off season. Vegas has had a track record of this where they bring in a, a lot of these top ticket guys, a lot of these top contract guys that are making, you know. Jack Eichel. Alex Petrangelo. Yeah, let's keep we, going. We, Ale, we, we, when they got Alex Petrangelo, now granted, Alex Petrangelo has worked out really well for Vegas. and Jack has too. I'm sure fans would tell you they're, they're probably worth every penny they're getting paid. But at the time when Alex Petrangelo came to Vegas, we all looked around going, you're paying how much for a defenseman? I mean, top one of the top contracts for a defenseman in the league at the time. Yep. Same thing with Jack Eichel. There was a lot of expectation because of what he's being paid. And I've, I, my fear is you're going to, if you're Vegas, you're going to bring in a top ticket guy, and it's going to be a rental essentially because your payday is going to come. You're not going to have enough cap to pay everybody. You're already committed to Jack Eichel. You're already committed to a lot of these guys long term you know, through trade and then, right. you know, extend, because that's what Vegas has done a lot of. They've traded for guys, and then as soon as they get to Vegas, they extend them yeah. long-term. 
and they they really lock themselves in for multiple years on a lot of guys, you're going to get this big name and say they're a five or six million dollar contract this year. Well, if they're doing extension at the end of the year, Vegas is going to be looking around going, we can't afford that. And I, I just would hate to see a big name be used as a rental for this group for less than half a year. Especially if the team doesn't win it all. So I think if you go after a big name, if you're if you're Vegas at the deadline, you have to make sure it's a name that you can keep around past this year because otherwise I think you're better off saving the cap space, um, whatever you can use that for. I don't know if cap is able to get rolled over into the next year, whatever the case may be. Um, but ultimately, if you can't get one of those big names that are, you know, it's okay with being a quote unquote rental that you feel is going to work well with the system that Bruce has in place, you're kind of better off just staying put. I mean, they've had one dud of a game since the all-star game. It was tonight. That was the dud where they just did not look good. Uh, the other games, even those games that they've lost before tonight, were all in overtime. So at least you can look at the bigger picture and go, well, they grabbed a point out of it. They're still making headway in the standings. They're still making progress forward. And we're probably, what, 10 games now, I believe, removed out of the All-Star break? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah, because like yeah, they, they had grabbed, I think, 9 or 10 or the – or no, maybe it was to, it was nine games since the All Star break. I was about to say because that something doesn't sound right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was nine games since they've had the All Star break. Um, they had come came into the game with a nine game point streak, so they had grabbed. A, yeah, so they had grabbed a point before the All Star break, came back, kept the streak going until tonight. Um, so only nine games removed from the All Star break, and this is the first dud of a game that you just look at and go, yeah, it was not going well. And you talk about kind of what they've been able to do in order to, to continue moving forward. They continue to move forward in that first-place position in the Pacific Division. They are 35-19-6 and six on the year. They have 76 points. They are two points ahead of the L.A. Kings, four points ahead of the Edmonton Oilers, and six points ahead of the Seattle Kraken. They are the best team in the West presently. Still the seventh-best team in all of hockey, though. Six teams in the East have more than 76 points. <clears throat> uh, but they're back in action on Wednesday, 7 p.m. from the T-Mobile Arena against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, just a quick update, XFL update. Week two in the XFL, Vegas is still winless in, in this new season in the XFL. They lost 18-6 to the D.C. Defenders. I didn't watch this game. I don't really have much to update you guys on. I'm just clearly letting you guys know. Uh, the 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 score in this one, um, I will say this really quick. The Vipers social media person tweeted out maybe like when it was super windy that day, whatever day was super crazy windy. Um, Las Vegas locally tweeted that trash can that was rolling because of the wind being br uh, blown over because of the wind or whatever. It was literally like it was open. If you guys are wondering what I'm talking about, like the like a blue recycling bin, it was open and it's literally being pushed based on air, the wind down this cul-de-sac essentially. Uh, the Vegas Vipers social media person took that, quoted it, and said um, something along the lines that this is how DC is going to leave the, the valley or something like that. The defenders replied to the tweet. 
winked at Vegas and said, we're going to remember that. It may mean nothing to you guys. It means everything to me because, yes, it's the XFL. Yes, it's new for everybody. Get your first, get your first dub before you talk to anybody. Because now, not only did you go out there and you didn't get the dub, you went out there and scored six points. Two field, two field goals. <laughs> they didn't even score a touchdown at all. Um, let me actually see. They better have. You might be right. No, it was a touchdown. It was a rushing touchdown. Uh, but they they clearly didn't didn't convert on an extra point. But um, kind of just gives you an idea of this group. Brett Hundley. Uh oh. Brett Hundley did play in this game. He did went, He did go eight of eleven. Or excuse me, I lied. He went. 11 of 18 for 98 yards, didn't throw a pick, didn't throw a touchdown, but Luis Perez went one of five. So that kind of gives you an idea. Similar to what Jose Valonte and head coach Rob Woodson were kind of were kind of talking about before. It's looking like they're heading in the direction of Brett Hundley. Uh we'll end the show with, with, with some quick hits, believe it or not. We're not gonna start the show with it, but we'll end the show with some quick hits. Uh really just one hit to get to. Um was it Sunday? Yeah, I think that was yesterday. Yesterday, uh, Jake Paul, Tommy Fury. Um, I got to be honest. I told you guys before, that most valuable promotion with Jake Paul and company, I like what they're doing. I- I've liked it for a, for a while. I think the, the thing that's uncomfortable, like I told you before, I don't. I didn't like the aspect of people who sorry, yeah. people who are not fighters fighting. Because, yeah, I mean, it's bad fighting, like, first of all. But if there's no storyline behind it, it's like, why? Like, you know what I mean? Like, no disrespect to Darren Williams and uh, and Frank Gore, but why? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And, and, yes, it's entertaining in moments, but there are also certain times that I'm watching these celebrities fight, and I'm like, cool, that was dope. And then there are certain times I'm watching, and I'm like, Get them off my screen. Nate Robinson. Like, it, it, like, I don't need to see this. Like, certain things I just don't need to see. Um, I don't care to see. But I, I said it a while back. You can say what you want about Jake Paul. At the very least, he's taking it serious. And that's what I've always said. I, I, I did say I wanted to see him fight a real boxer. Until I saw him fight a real, real boxer, I wasn't going to put too much stock into it. But he's he is taking it serious, and he has earned that right. Uh, he fights Ty, uh, Tyson Fury's little brother, Tommy Fury, uh, somebody who was supposed to fight originally before uh, fighting Anderson Silva. And good fight. <laughs> like, really good fight. Um, I did see moments where Jake looked like an, an an inexperienced boxer it looked there was a couple times in the first two rounds i think the early in the second round where he got hit and his hands almost dropped to like a street fighting style and that was that was it for me in that moment i realized in the second round you never took a at least that we've seen we've never seen you take a punch from a boxer with all due respect to Anderson Silva, with all due respect to Tyron Woodley, they are also well-rounded mixed martial artists. So, jujitsu is in there, wrestling is in there, 
um, even judo with some of these guys. Like you, you have different elements in there. There's kickboxing in there, uh, Muay Thai, and when you get somebody who does all or most, if not all, of their damage with just their two hands, their punches feel different. And I watched Tommy Fury light Jake Paul up in certain moments where I was like, he ain't like that. Like you, that's that's usually my line. Uh, if you're watching the fight, especially if you see something kind of unfold, you start to kind of look at it and be like, oh yeah, he didn't like that. Um, but at the same time too, I also watched Jake Paul come in in the third round and I watched him dominate the third round. So by the third round, I was like, oh, it's lit. This is great. I have to go back and watch the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds because that will give me my answer. Tommy Fury, to me, had the first two. Jake Paul had three. I gave Jake Paul eight because he dropped he dropped Tommy Fury. I look at seven, and I want to lean toward Jake. If that's the case, out of the five that I'm for sure that I watched, Jake got three of the five. I don't know. I, I As much as everybody wants to see Jake Paul lose, I watched those scorecards get read. The first one was 75-74 Jake. The next two were 76-73 Tommy. The way how I, how I made myself okay with the decision was two judges gave him the fight, obviously, right? Whether I agree with the scorecards or not. However, the one judge that gave you the fight barely gave you the fight if you look at it that way if we're just reading the room three judges saw it this way two think you lost one thinks you barely won nine times out of ten you lost jake paul get on the mic after the fact uh as humble as ever in in in, in defeat in my humble opinion um I do understand why Saudi Arabia booed when he said that he had certain injuries and he got sick during camp because it sounds like excuses but these fighters can't talk about it beforehand. So you're going to get what you get after the fact. I didn't necessarily take it as an excuse. I think all the surrounding conversation, pardon, conversation and surrounding words are where you determine if he is trying to get away from a loss. And he he said what, 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 what a lot of fighters say. I don't know that I necessarily agree with the judges, but he won. And at the end of the day, if my hand's not getting raised, he won, regardless of whether I or I agree with it or not. And um, I, I do expect these two guys to fight again. I thought it was a great fight. I thought both guys got popped. I thought both guys showed great resiliency, um, a great level of resiliency. And, and, and I think that all in all, I do think a lot of people aren't going to like to hear this, but... It's weird to say this loss might have solidified Jake Paul. Like, it's so weird. But I'm excited to see what he does next. And and I will say this was not my tones two years ago. I couldn't care less what Jake Paul did two years ago. But if Jake Paul, which to his credit, he did say a year or two or whatever he said from now, he wanted to be fighting boxers. Here we are. I also want to just highlight that this man said that he wanted to fight Canelo Alvarez. So I just want to highlight that and say that I also hope that Jake Paul came back down to earth a little bit yesterday. But my dad's tip in is on that. We'll get to my dad's tip in and then we'll get out of here. My dad said, I can't really say that I don't like Jake Paul, but I'm not a fan. 
I understand where he's coming from with his brashness and cockiness because especially in a fight game, that's how you get attention. Either you love him or you hate him. He doesn't really care as long as you're talking about him. So I must say it was a pleasure to watch him lose a decision uh, to Tommy Fury this past weekend. Ali Eason Gibb? Who is that? Same question I asked, but that was Jake Paul's opponent in his debut. Then it was the, still playing it over in, in my head, the total destruction of ex-NBA player, ex-basketball basketball player, excuse me, Nate Robinson. After that, it was the ugly knockout loss, or knockout of ex-MMA fighter Ben Askren. Then the close fight with ex-MMA fighter Tyron Woodley, followed by a humiliating face-flattening KO of Tyron Woodley in the second bout. Then there was a unanimous decision win by Jake Paul over ex-MMA fighter, notice a pattern here, Anderson Silva. Of all of these fights, Woodley and Silva had at least a little bit of boxing experience, a little bit of boxing background, excuse me. But to see Paul finally fight a pure boxer, granted, Tommy Fury only had eight professional fights before this. At least he wasn't trying to box another sport, another guy in another sport after retiring from a completely different sport. And to think, the WBC was considering raking Jake Paul if he won this fight. Pure disrespect to the young fighters that are giving blood, sweat, and tears to climb those ranks. I think my dad said it best. Um... I also think my dad doesn't want to hear that if Jake Paul continues this trajectory, Jake Paul at one point will be ranked by WBC. Until next time, guys. Keep on talking.